0: Is Bloomberg surveillance. We need to figure out a better way to get people into work. I think, you know, more flexible workplaces, childcare, investments in infrastructure.
1: The number of people quitting their jobs has
2: skyrocketed, which, you know, people don't do that unless they feel pretty comfortable that they're going to find another one. If the unemployment rate keeps falling in the way that I think it will, at some point the Fed is probably going to have to tighten more aggressively than they expect.
3: Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics,
2: finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning and happy Jobs Day. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. It's 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 8 p.m. in Shanghai, where... China intervened to support its stock market today, keeping it from a loss just as the National People's Congress gets underway. How convenient, as they say. Manipulation or not, it encouraged investors around the world ahead of what may be a slightly less important than usual jobs report here in the U.S. We will, of course, have all the numbers for you at 830 Wall Street time. And we have an all-star cast to set up the report and break it down for you. We will uh, begin our conversation with Michael Darda in just a moment. Also today, Robert Gordon, Alan Krueger, Mickey Levy, and as always, Bill Gross from Janus Capital, Scott Mather from PIMCO, BlackRock's... Russ Kustrich, help us break everything down. Ahead of the numbers, here's where we are. China did finish higher, but only by half a percent, and it took the government to get them there. But that's still enough to encourage buying in the rest of Asia and in Europe. The stocks, 600, up two points right now, half a percent. The DAX is up 98 points right now, one percent. In London, the FTSE is up 60 points. That's just about one percent as the back-and-forth schizophrenia in the markets over Brexit continues there. Uh In the U.S., a more nuanced story. We are up not a lot, but ahead of Jobs Day, there is some green on the screen. S&P futures three points higher, tenth of a percent. Two-tenths for Dow e-mini futures, 29 points, and a 12-point gain for NASDAQ 100 futures. That's a three-tenths gain. Ahead of the jobs report, bond yields actually lower. We'll see how they trade after the numbers come out. Ten-year, 1.83%. The five-year, one33 83 basis points for your two year yield. Jim Vogel of FTN says anything south of 175,000 or north of 230,000, Tom, will provoke a market reaction today.
4: Interesting. I, uh, that's nice to hear that. We've been so distracted. We've been distracted.
2: Yeah. Well, a lot going on, and um, yeah. we'll get to all the politics and everything else as the show goes on. Currency is interesting today, Tom. The dollar lower. Um, if we were if we get a strong jobs report, you'd think it would go the other way. Yen one thirteen seventy two, Euro one hundred nine eighty seven, both uh, stronger against the dollar. The pound stronger against the dollar, one forty one fifty eight. And look at gold. Twelve seventy, getting up to the thirteen hundred dollar range, that. up twelve well dollars. Um what is behind that? I don't know. That may get Michael Dart's attention. He's the chief economist at MKM Partners. A proud Wisconsin White Hawk Warhawk. Whitewater Warhawk. I noticed the Lady Warhawks in the NCAA tournament this year, so congratulations to your uh, team. Uh, what do you make of the way the markets are setting up for this? Uh, it used to be bad news, good news. Um, the, the, the Fed was at the center of everything, but it doesn't look like we're trading that way going into the number today.
5: Yeah, I think, Mike, if you just take a, a small step back, um, you know, markets have jumped up after a big sell-off coming into the year, uh, basically because the fear, when we were down almost 15% from the highs of the cycle on the S&P, the fear was that manufacturing is in recession, the rest of the economy might follow, and uh, recently we've had some better data, at least some data that suggests while manufacturing is weak, it perhaps is stabilizing the consumption figures for January in particular uh, came in better than expected. That's a big chunk of GDP obviously. And so that has catalyzed uh, a bit of optimism. Whether that will sustain itself, you know, is another question. And then of course, you know, we'll see what the numbers bring at, you know, at eight thirty. But I always tell listeners to to look at a moving average and not to get too excited about any one number, but you know, we end up focusing a lot on a one single number every time we get to one of these reports, unfortunately.
4: One of the great themes is wage growth. I believe last time we had, you know, a Philip of interest there. Michael McKee was sitting up straight looking at the optimism on wage growth. Will that optimism continue?
5: Well important to remember, Tama, uh, <clears throat> when you're looking at uh, hourly wages, it's really the result of not you know, not just current nominal GDP, but past nominal GDP growth and how tight the labor market is. So what we're seeing is a visible but moderate uh, acceleration in hourly wage growth. You know, labor costs have also been growing somewhat faster. Now, that's caused some optimism that inflation uh, will be rising towards the Fed's target. But keep in mind that nominal GDP is actually slowing now. We've gone from almost 5% in late 2014 down to 3 on nominal GDP uh, currently. And if top lines are weakening as the cost structure is levitating, that is a setup for a profit squeeze. Uh, margins look like they've peaked for the cycle. GDP profits have been weak, I'm so afraid. So where are you on
4: equity markets right now?
5: Where I am is uh, for I would recommend that investors stay defensively Postured and and cautious. If we see this market run up to the highs of the cycle, right. I would recommend taking some chips off the table. I think we're we're probably in the last year year and a half okay. of the business. Well, yeah. I wanted to
2: get to that where where we are in the cycle because a lot of people looking at the market say recession coming.
5: Yeah, well, that was the fear coming into the year. The data doesn't support that yet. Um, you know, but I I do think if we look at Weakness in in monetary indicators. M1 growth is now down below 4% year to year. Obviously, the monetary base is flat post QE. Uh, In credit markets, under a lot of stress, the last couple weeks we've seen some easing, uh, but we have a a lot of indicators that are suggesting a late cycle environment. Not the least of which I mentioned was corporate profits from the GDP accounts. Those tend to peak relative to the economy and relative to corporate bond rates about two years before a downturn, the peak in this cycle. so far was 2014, um, which means that we're quite late cycle. Unless there's a new high, hard to see that with top line growth slowing, wages accelerating moderately, and the Fed you know, out there uh, having already tightened policy and probably uh, would tighten it again if there are signs that, uh, that growth is reaccelerating. The Fed has hemmed us in. The dictates of the Phillips curve model are simply that this business cycle will not be allowed to accelerate. And unfortunately, if there's a misjudgment, that could mean a termination in the cycle if the Fed is out there too far in front.
4: With them... <clears throat> what we all see in the equity market, and there's, there's a fair number of bulls out there, even within what, whatever kind of bear market you want to uh, describe it, is animal spirits. That is M&A, without question, the mergers, low nominal GDP, let's combine to find growth. That's We've seen that in history. That's not unusual. Right. What will be the outcome of it as we see a consolidation of American business?
5: Well, I mean, I think, you know, unfortunately, at this juncture of the cycle, the outcome is that, you know, we're probably looking at the last year, year and a half uh, of the expansion. That's just a very rough guess, best on guess based on business cycle history and how long expansions go after you have you know important mm-hmm. peaks in, in profits. So, you know, we're probably getting towards the tail end of the, of the M&A cycle and of the business cycle at large, unfortunately. I, Tom, I'd like to be more optimistic. You know me as somebody who is right. typically uh, runs with the bulls. I was even being... Is this
4: because you're hanging out with Robert Gordon?
5: <laughs> I know. Uh, good timing in having us, you know, come on today because we do share... Uh, you know, more of a pessimistic view, maybe for somewhat different reasons. But usually I'm upbeat and optimistic. I've even been yeah. called a permable. Um but we just try to call the cycle in an accurate way with the right indicators. Well, you, and,
2: you suggested yeah. the Fed has hemmed us in and, and won't let the expansion go. Uh, they have been talking, some of, the, some of the core, like Bill Dudley, about letting the economy run hot. They've only raised 25 basis points. You right. could probably go... A couple more rate increases in the economy won't notice. So, what do you mean by that? Uh, they seem to be willing to let things go for a while. Uh,
5: well, that's true. They've talked about a modest overshoot in terms of unemployment falling below the level that you know that they think is sustainable, which is essentially where it is now. Uh, and their view is that that's a leading indicator of inflation. That's the Phillips curve. I think that you know there are some problems with that. Historically, the relationships have been anything but tight. Um, And, you know, I would also be quite concerned about the notion that the economy wouldn't notice with a few more rate hikes. Consider the fact that the taper, the end of QE in the first 25 basis point rate rise was associated with severe uh, moves in inflation expectations, credit market spreads. Uh, and, you know, volatility mm-hmm. in, in global equity prices. And so I do think that the Fed is powerful, very important, uh, and, has you know, this has global no. implications. So, twenty you know, 25 basis points may not sound like a lot, but it can matter. Consider right. the fact that there have been important downturns associated only with small amounts of rate hikes, the Eurozone 2011, Japan in 2000, okay. and again in 06 and 07.
4: Michael Darda, thank you so much. Really uh, pleased to have you in on this jobs day. Bloomberg surveillance. This morning, I'm brought to you by Invesco. Factor-based strategies can help investors focus on a high quality, low volatility, and more. Learn more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Michael Darty gets us started in this hour. Robert Gordon of Northwestern University next. And then Bill Gross will follow on after the jobs report. Alan Krueger with us. And Mickey Levy as well this morning. Futures up too. Dow futures up 24 gold, up $10, 12.69 the ounce.
2: Now let's bring in Michael Barr with the latest world and national headlines. Michael,
6: Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Donald Trump used last night's Republican presidential debate to fire back at former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney, who called Trump a phony and a con man. Trump called the 2012 Republican nominee a failed candidate who just wants to be relevant. Other Republicans, from House Speaker Paul Ryan to Senator John McCain, also blasted Trump yesterday. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has decided to temporarily suspend work on moving a U.S. Marine base in Okinawa and will resume talks about the plan. The central government and Okinawa's government have been locked in a legal battle over relocating the base, which opponents won off the island entirely. A new trade deal with Europe promises to put about 200,000 Syrian refugees to work in Jordan. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr.
4: Mike, Tom? and hey Michael, thanks so much. Uh, it is Jobs Day. We will, at 8.30, turn to Bill Gross for his perspective not only on the report but on the American economy.
2: Bloomberg Surveillance, brought to you by the Town of Hempstead Industrial Development Agency. Find out how to put the Town of Hempstead IDA to work for your business. Call 1-800-593-3870 or visit tohida.org.
3: Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com. The Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
7: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by CBOE VIX Options and Futures. Volatility can be harnessed with CBOE VIX Options and Futures. See disclosures and learn more at cboe.com slash powerful outcomes VIX. U.S. stock index futures are higher as investors await data that may show hiring picked up pace last month. S&P e-mini futures are up three points. Dow e-mini futures up 35. NASDAQ e-mini futures up 14. The DAX in Germany is up 1%. Ten-year treasury little change yield 1.83%. NYMEX crude oil up 3 tenths percent or 10 cents to 34.67 a barrel. COMEX gold is up 6 tenths percent or $7.80 to 12.66 an ounce. The euro, a dollar 0.983. The yen, 113.79. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
2: Oh, thank you, Karen. I thought Tom, you were uh, you all right over there? You're you're watching the uh, you're watching the uh, Lula headlines. Uh, we should note um, the Brazilian police de- detaining the former president of Brazil, Luiz Inacio Lula. De Silva, uh, part of their corruption probe, and uh, headlines crossing the Bloomberg Terminal point out that the Brazilian Real has rallied sharply on the news. It was 2.8% higher, now 2.2% higher. So that is mm. something we will keep an eye on uh, throughout the morning, um, see what the reaction is there. Robert Gordon is with us now, nice enough to come all the way from Chicago, Northwestern University, to join us. His book, The Rise and Fall of American Growth, is my book of the year so far, and I think it's probably going to last throughout the year uh, as that because it is a terrific history of uh, American productivity and progress and how the period from about 1880 to 1940 was the most transformative perhaps in uh, America in, in human history uh, we, we went from uh, living in un- very poorly heated uh, unweathered uh, dark houses uh, and using outhouses to in-, in the modern life we live today and how that changed society and economics uh, it is, uh, it is a fascinating book because it really lays out uh, what it takes to raise living standards. Well, we had an uh, enormous
8: scope of human experience changed unalterably by the inventions that started in the late 19th century and continued into the 20th century. Um, and if you just think about the house, Completely isolated in 1870, by 1940, connected five different ways to the outside with electricity, gas, telephone, running water, and waste disposal. That made an unalterable difference in the lives of not just the men who went off to go to work, but the women who stayed home and took care of things. Uh, back in the 1880s, women were uh, carrying literally tons of water, Per year into the house, and all that water had to be carried out of the house. uh, Just running water itself. Uh, was an amazing invention. We had electricity, the internal combustion engine, the conquest of infectious diseases, the conquest of infant mortality. In 1890, more than 20% of babies died within the first year of birth, and by 1950 that was down to 1%. Those are the kinds of changes that can only happen once. We went from a rural society with only 25% urban in the 1870 to by 1970 we were 75%. Uh, Urban,
2: And we know that people in cities are much more productive than they are in the farm. Well, we only have a a short time with you today, so let me jump ahead and ask you what you see from here on out. uh, You're more pessimistic about productivity growth. Well, what I see is that,
8: uh, we had a second big wave of productivity growth, uh, the so-called dot-com era of the late 1990s and early 2000s, when all of the uh, inventions that changed the way America does business in offices uh, were unalterably Change from the world of paper and typewriters and file cabinets to the world of flat screens, search engines, and the world that we know now. But that was all pretty much in place by 2005. What's the great puzzle is why productivity growth has been so slow over the last five to six mm-hmm. years, less than 1%, only about half a percent. And in my view, that's because we're pretty much doing things the way we did uh, 10 years ago. We have digested the real payoff of the computer for business productivity.
4: I want to go back. I would I would rip up the script and do what Mike's doing, which is go forward. But, Professor Gordon, it has been such an interesting and some would say distressing week for our American politics, whatever anybody's view on it. Thank God on page 211, you saved the day. James McGregor Burns of Williams College in his Vineyard of Liberty stopped the world with his discussion of the day Adams and Jefferson died together or July 4th of 1826, you cite that same magisterial day for America. Where do we get back to that spirit, whether it was the founding fathers or the early industrial age of the 1820s? How do we get back to that versus what we've witnessed over the last four weeks?
8: Well, I'm not going to talk about politics uh, except to say that I've heard Uh, extravagant promises about achieving economic growth uh, through tax cuts that primarily are aimed at reducing the taxes of the wealthy and I think what we should remember is that there is the top 1% in the United States that have been extremely fortunate to be the beneficiaries of the computer age Uh, and what we need is to find a way of balancing out our society instead of a few winners and a lot of people stagnating Uh, suffering from the slow growth and productivity. Uh, We need to have uh, a way of uh, improving life uh, for the middle and the bottom. And I put my primary emphasis on preschool education. We have in our country an enormous vocabulary gap of people arriving in kindergarten when you compare the the poverty population with the middle and the upper uh, income students. Um, and we need a concerted effort to join together as a country and try to yeah. deal with the disadvantages that so many of our new children, our new next generation are growing up with Mike
4: one
2: quick question uh, how much uh, we just have uh, thirty seconds here, but how much does a pre- difference as a president make to the economy? Uh, I think the the
8: uh, the difference can be very substantial if you have the president and the Congress in the same party. Therefore, I expect that if we have a Democratic president elected in 2016, we'll continue to have a stalemate. I think if we have a Republican uh, with control of both houses of parliament, we'll see some major changes. Now, for many of us, they may be changes moving backwards. The repeal of Obamacare, leaving people without medical insurance, uh, tax cuts for the rich, as was practiced by George Bush, uh, without... Any achievement of economic growth, by the way.
2: Robert Gordon, Northwestern University, The Rise and Fall of American Growth. Terrific book. I urge everyone to read it. Thanks for stopping by today. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Okay, thanks for having me. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Render.
3: Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991; to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
2: Good morning at 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with uh, Tom Keane. Here's a couple of the headlines we're following from companies as we get ready for trading on this jobs day. Foxconn and Sharp aiming to sign their $6 billion takeover agreement as early as Monday. They've decided their deal doesn't require major changes. People familiar say Goldman Sachs will eliminate more than 5% of traders and salespeople in its fixed income business, Bank of America, going to dismiss about 150 trading and investment banking employees next week. AMC Entertainment, uh, that's controlled by China's richest man, by the way, agreeing to buy Carmike Cinema's $1.1 billion all-cash deal, creates the world's largest cinema chain. And now, Michael Barr has the latest world and national headlines.
6: Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Insults flew as the four Republican presidential candidates took the stage in last night's debate in Detroit. Donald Trump kept referring to Florida Senator Marco Rubio as Little Marco. In the end, the candidates on Fox News pledged to support Trump if he becomes the nominee. I'll support the Republican nominee. Yes,
5: because I gave my word that
6: I would.
2: Sometimes he makes it a little bit hard, but
6: I, I will support whoever is the Republican nominee for president. The answer is yes, I will. The White House calls it a showdown between heavyweights in the world of computer science. Students from MIT and Britain's University of Cambridge will spend the weekend hacking into each other's computers. The two schools are competing in a hacking contest that President Obama and British Prime Minister Cameron announced last year, among other joint cybersecurity projects between the two nations. Hundreds of thousands of students will sit down tomorrow to take the SAT, which figures into their college admission hopes, and they'll find that it has been redesigned and streamlined Early reviews from the students who took it this week say it is shorter on trick questions. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom.
2: Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, and that means John Stashower, John. Thanks, Mike. All three
3: local hockey teams were on the road. And the Islanders and Devils both won following similar scripts. Both were trailing with a minute to play, tied the game, and then won in overtime. The Isles 4-3 at Winnipeg. Kyle Akposo, the game winner, midway through OT after Anders Lee got them there. With a half-minute to go in regulation, Islanders 5-1 and one on the seven-game road trip that ends Sunday at the Garden against the Rangers. Devils had lost 6-7, of seven, never led in Nashville until Adam Henrique's game-winner at 154 after he tied it with 40 seconds left in regulation. Devils won 5-4. Rangers' three-game win streak ended in Pittsburgh 4-1. Penguins scored three times in 99 seconds late in the second period. The Rangers have to come right back tonight and visit league-leading Washington. And the Blue Shirts have not lost back-to-back game since December. Golden State Warriors won again last night beating Oklahoma City. The Warriors are 55-5. and They've won 44 in a row at home in the regular season. That ties the NBA record. College basketball, the Metro Atlantic tourney underway in Albany with Manhattan advancing. Both Monmouth and Iona, who are the top two seeds, will be in action tonight with the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stasheller.
2: Thank you, John. Today is, of course, Jobs Day. We're celebrating here at Bloomberg Surveillance. 195,000 jobs is the consensus of the economists uh, we surveyed, 190,000 of those will be private payrolls, manufacturing payrolls forecast to decline by a 1,000, unemployment forecast no change, 4.9%, and earnings up two-tenths, which would keep us on a 2.5% average hourly earnings year-over-year basis, and that's a number that a lot of people will be watching very closely, all the Jobs numbers coming your way, 8.30 Wall Street time here on Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. We are seeing green on the screen. Some optimism, perhaps, about the jobs numbers, although you never can quite tell whether Wall Street thinks good news is bad news or vice versa. But right now, S&P futures are up by three points, about two-tenths of a percent. Same percentage gain for Dow E-mini futures. They are up by 31 points, and it's a 14-point gain for NASDAQ futures. They are up three-tenths. We are excited because, of course, we have been speaking with Robert Gordon from Northwestern University, author of *The Rise and Fall of American Growth*, also a member of the uh, National Bureau of Economic uh, for Economic. Uh, research Business Cycle Dating Committee and as uh, he was telling me just a few moments ago there's no cycle to date right now so we're not talking about uh, recession no at the moment No committee has met less often <laughs> yeah, you, No committee has met less often you say That's right <laughs> uh, And Alan Kruger, our regular Jobs Day guest of course uh, Princeton economist former Labor Department uh, chief economist former Treasury Department chief economist the man can't hold a job uh, <laughs> he is, He's with us as well today I want to go back to a question that I asked uh, Professor Gordon Allen just before uh, we took a break. With all the, um, I don't know what, even what to call the uh, presidential race this year. It is so strange. And obviously, there is a candidate who doesn't seem to be qualified, doesn't understand economics. So I asked the professor. And, and you have you'll have great perspective because you were on the inside. How much difference a president can make to the economy? Uh, does the does the massive bureaucracy of the United States government leaven what a president can do, or can there be real damage done? Thank you. Uh, I'm of the belief there could be real damage.
0: You know, if you talk about starting a trade war with China, uh, disrupting relationships with Mexico, um, cutting, you know. Dramatically cutting taxes, blowing up the deficit, um, the way uh, enforcement works for regulations.
2: Uh, I think president can uh, cause a lot of damage. I- I'm just wondering, though, uh, you can say you want a trade war. You can say you want to deport 11 million people. But is Congress going to let you? Is uh, the bureaucracy going to let you? Well, not
0: all of that requires congressional action. The president has a lot of authority. So uh, – I I really worry for the future, uh, given some of the alternatives.
2: Well, Professor Gordon, uh, how important are the uh, undocumented uh, immigrants here? There are something like 8 million people who are out of work who would like work. If you deport uh, 11 million, I guess the calculation is about 8 million of those are uh, in the labor force. Um, Can't uh, citizens replace those? Well, let's not exaggerate. Uh, we have a normal amount
8: of unemployment that it takes uh, teenagers to find new jobs. People who are going back and forth to school uh, are counted as unemployed when they're doing routine uh, job search. So it's not that we have eight million people who are uh desperately unable to find jobs. We have a very high rate of job hiring now. Uh we have very healthy turnover in the labor market. We're getting our unemployment rate down into the four and a half percent range, uh which is generally thought to be about as low as we can get and stay safe on the Fed's inflation target. Uh, so uh, what we've got is a economy that is already very dependent on those undocumented, uh, immigrants who are here and many of whom have been here for years. Uh, go into any restaurant, look at who the cooks are, look at who the wait staff is, look at the people who do the real nuts and bolts work of running the American economy. And many of them are among those uh, undocumented aliens. We can't uh, do without them. And it would be enormously disruptive to try to suddenly come along and tell them that they all have to leave. I think it's to- totally infeasible. Uh, I think the the bureaucracy would simply ignore this. But it can make a difference. Uh, Alan,
2: the, uh, the idea of the manual labor uh, worker Uh, how important is that going to be going forward in an economy that we keep hearing is becoming more and more technology and robot driven
0: well uh, in the long run the pattern has been for machinery to replace routine work manual labor and I think that will continue on the other hand in in the near term we're still very dependent on uh, the use of muscle uh, in terms of construction in terms of uh, building our roads, uh, houses. Um, so uh, I think, you know, for the f- foreseeable future, uh, we're still going to be very dependent on manual labor.
2: Does the employment report give us any clue as to how many people are in that job category and or, uh, you know, non-citizens or the people who would be deported? Uh The
0: monthly report doesn't give too much purchase on undocumented immigrants, uh, but there are pretty good estimates of how many undocumented workers there are in the U.S. You know, one of the things which has been amazing to me is that we're having this debate at a time when net migration to Mexico is negative. We're we're seeing outflows that we have for the past few years, uh, which just is a sign, I think, of how far off base the discussion has been compared to the reality of what's uh, driving our economy.
2: Uh, Professor Gordon, I only have 30 seconds left, but what what would you say to the people who are supporting Donald Trump who feel that they don't have a future? Uh,
8: I would tell them that uh, we need to have a a more equal society, not a less equal society. Uh, We don't want to run up deficits by cutting taxes on the rich, and we need to have programs that support people like them. Uh, They're voting for the wrong person.
2: Professor Robert Gordon from uh, Northwestern University and, of course, Alan Kruger from Princeton. Alan will be staying around. We thank Professor Gordon for coming in today. A, a treat. And, again, uh, his book, The Rise and Fall of American Growth, definitely my uh, book of the year, and everybody should check that out. Uh, it will give you a very good read. Good thing it is not a, uh, it's not summertime because it's a little heavy for a beach book. <laughs> I mean, it's 800 pages. Uh, we'll be back here on Bloomberg Surveillance. This is Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. We are counting down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today.
3: Global Business News, 24 hours a day, at Bloomberg.com. The Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
7: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit Sector, SPDRS.com, or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. U.S. stock index futures are higher as investors await data that may show hiring picked up pace last month. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P e-mini futures up 4 points. Dow e-mini futures up 37. Nasdaq e-mini futures up 17. DAX in Germany is up 1.1%. 10-year treasury, little change, yield 1.83%. NYMEX crude oil up 8 tenths percent or 28 cents. COMEX gold is up 6 tenths percent or $7.70. The euro, $1.0971. The yen, 113.72. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
2: Kai Mosko, thank you very much. The Bloomberg NJIT STEM report is brought to you by the New Jersey Institute of Technology. I just lost my place here. I'll be right back with you. <laughs> we are brought to you by NJIT, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Bob Moon, I need, I need an electronic version of that <laughs> billboard so I don't mess up like I just did.
1: Okay, good morning, Michael. Here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. Facebook will pay millions more in taxes starting next year, all because of where it sends the bills out. For the advertising it sells in the United Kingdom, the social network has decided to stop routing advertising sales of its largest UK clients through Ireland, which effectively increases its tax bill by millions of pounds. It's a bid by Facebook to improve transparency and fend off criticism over tax avoidance. Smaller business sales where advertising is booked online will still be routed through the company's Ireland offices, which will remain the firm's international headquarters. But a Facebook spokesman tells Bloomberg in an emailed statement that its larger UK customers will start receiving invoices from Facebook UK instead of Facebook Ireland. That means the revenue will be recorded in the UK and thus taxed there. The British Treasury issued a statement welcoming the additional revenue and saying, multinationals should pay every penny they owe. The UK is famous for its tenacious tax enforcement. Remember when the Beatles were compelled to pay a rate of 95%? Yeah! Mornings, Bloomberg and JIT STEM reports. Tom? That was a revolver moment.
2: It Very nice. good. Stuff. Ooh, a revolver moment. <laughs>
4: Thank yeah. you. Why, clever. Thank you. Mike, pick it up here with our esteemed guest, this Jobs.
2: Well, day. our esteemed guest is uh, our esteemed Jobs Day co-host, Alan Kruger from Princeton University. We were uh, talking with Robert Gordon of Northwestern in the last block about uh, what a difference uh, an administration can make in the economy. Let's... Uh, keep it in government, move down the street a little bit to 20th and uh, C Streets in Washington and ask, uh, uh, at this point, is the Fed still affecting the economy or it has the, the impact of zero interest rates and in QE and the Fed's balance sheet at this point sort of become a neutral factor?
0: I think they're still accommodating the economy. I think it'll be a while before monetary policy is
2: in a neutral stance. So... Uh, when you say it's a while, then what is the what is what the Fed is considering, whether they raise interest rates another in 25 basis points or 50 basis points this year? Is that going to have an impact? Are we going to notice that? At what point do, do they hinder the economy?
0: Well, I think it'll start to slow the economy when they and I assume that they'll continue to raise rates because I expect the recovery is going to continue. Um, The question is, at what pace? The reason why I say I think it's accommodative, it'll just be less accommodative going forward, uh, is real rates are still negative. If you look at where we are with inflation, where nominal interest rates are, even if they go up 50 basis points, 75 basis points this year, uh, that's still going to be below the inflation rate. And that still would be supporting investment in the U.S. economy, supporting consumption.
4: Within this and and to the debate, and I'm sure you have a strong opinion on this, how much of a vector on the unemployment rate can be attributed to the White House and to what is becoming a lame duck White House? I was quite taken yesterday by the president and the first lady suggesting they will stay in Washington. I guess we all knew immediately why their youngest daughter's education is a priority. But the vector now, how much can a White House influence that?
0: Well, there's still many things that the administration is engaged in that can influence the economy. Uh, The trade agreements, uh, for example, uh, international policy. Um, I think we made some big steps with the budget, which will provide more uh, certainty going forward and a little bit of a tailwind for the economy. Uh, But if you look over the sweep of the last seven years, I think there's no question that the Obama administration's policies uh, helped to get us out of the worst recession since the Great Depression.
4: Can I rip up the script? Mike, you do every okay? time I'm here? Yeah. Okay. In I, fact, I, I don't believe you have a script on it. I don't <laughs> have a script. Thank you. <laughs> Professor Kruger, I'm watching in our wonderful coverage from Washington one of the Republican candidates I want to leave the politics out of this go after the Affordable Care Act. And without any political angle I'm saying to myself how many people in his Republican audience benefited from the Affordable Care Act? How many did?
0: Large numbers. I have to say, I watched the Twelve debate last night. Twelve like
4: or like half? No, like ninety-five percent of the audience. No question, it was millions. I, I did full disclosure. Full disclosure, Rich Truman. Full disclosure. One of my kids got a two-year free ride because of the Affordable Care Act.
0: You know, to hear the claims during the debate that Detroit's
2: not doing well because of the Affordable Care Act is laughable. That struck me as as a little bit odd. But I uh, th- let me ask you. Uh, during the debate, they argued it was a job-killing uh, piece of legislation, and that was the argument that was put forth in, in the debate over whether to pass it or not. Can we tell uh, what impact it's had on jobs? I mean, there were, a lot, there were a lot of stories going into this that companies were hiring more part-time workers so they wouldn't become subject to this uh, and converting full-time workers to part-time workers. Can, can we tell what the impact has been?
0: Well, there's no sign that it has had an adverse effect on employment. If you look in this recovery, and especially since the Affordable Care Act passed, virtually all of the job growth has been in full-time jobs. You know, Mike, the same thing was said of the Social Security Act, that it was going to destroy the U.S. economy. So uh, I think everybody needs to take a deep breath and look at the act in in full. Uh, Look at the effect it's had on health care costs, which is probably to slow them down and to accelerate some trends that were taking place before the ACA passed, which uh, were were, were contributing to slower growth in health care costs. We should all be proud of the fact that 20 million more people have gained health insurance coverage. Um, And the effect on the economy, job growth, is certainly stronger in the last two years than it was in the two years before that.
4: I just put out a photo on Twitter, folks. It's one of the three or four most important photos of the history of Bloomberg surveillance and Bloomberg on the economy to have Kruger and Gordon uh, with us is special. What have you learned off of Kruger card, card Kruger from what, 1994? You were like 17 years old. <laughs> I mean, come on. Was it 94? I believe I'm it guessing. was 94. You know, it's sick. I can remember the dates of some of these papers. Kruger card. What have you learned about the minimum wage? with the new experiments we're having in Seattle and other places, and Secretary Clinton, I believe, surrounding the $15 statistic. What have you learned recently?
0: Well, I think in the last 20 years since our book uh, came out, and by the way, I'll give a shameless plug, we just uh, published a, a 20th anniversary edition of uh, Myth uh, and Measurement. Is your book
2: 800 pages like Bob Gordon's? <laughs> half that. <laughs> <laughs> it's half that. So,
0: so it is an easier beach read. Um, and... Uh, what's remarkable to me, and I thought this was the case when we wrote our research and our, our book back in the early 90s, that the judgment would be based on what happened subsequently, on what the research subsequently shows. And overwhelmingly, the research has found that moderate increases in the minimum wage do not have a noticeable effect on employment, uh, that moderate increases in the minimum wage tend to boost wages, uh, tend to support consumption, uh, yet don't have an adverse effect on employment, in part because the job market is not as competitive as we like to think. There are frictions in the job market. Bargaining power matters. And the minimum wage sets a norm for what's acceptable wages. Now, I do have some concerns about the minimum wage going too high because even in the non-competitive labor market, you can set the minimum wage above the point uh, where it does more good than harm. And $15, frankly, is beyond the experience that we've had in the U.S. and beyond the experience in almost every other country. So I think that would take us into uncharted mm-hmm. waters. But I'm quite comfortable okay. saying that going up to a range like $12 an hour uh, would have more benefits right. for low-wage workers.
4: Professor Krueger. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our people are looking at your people, your entourage, Elaine. She's screaming, get him out of here. Alan Kruger <laughs> is gone. Uh, uh, the former Alan president... Kruger
2: can always say, uh, you know, we'll rip yeah. up the script sometime and, and he, can, he can come back anytime he wants.
4: His but... entourage is coming right into the studio to drag him out. It's so rude. He's the former chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors, Alan Kruger of Princeton uh, University. Futures up five, down futures up 43. Mickey Levy to join us, thrilled with that with Barenberg Capital Markets. Uh, also uh, joining us today, William Gross. Oh, we'll speak to him for Janus Capital. With an important note uh, a few days ago he's on a,
2: banking, he's warning the sun is going to burn out at some point. Yeah,
4: or, or something like that. Bill Gross will join us after the jobs report. I hope it's not uh, soon. Yeah, well, we'll look at that. We begin another hour here and then on to the 9 o'clock hour of Bloomberg surveillance. Of course, in 32 minutes, Uh, we will do what we do, which is we'll go beneath the headline data to inform you on America's labor economy. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, Coast to Coast, Worldwide, Bloomberg Surveillance.